All right, tonight, if you have a Bible, do this. Take your Bible and go with me to the book of Ephesians. And I'm going to have it go there. And um, as we look at the book of Ephesians for the next couple of moments, out of a, Ephesians chapter 2. And um, I don't know if you've looked at this in a while, but this is a great, great passage of Scripture uh, reminding us of what Jesus has done for us, uh, for those who are in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says it this way. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Let me pray tonight and we'll begin. Father, thank you so much for our, my friends here tonight. I just pray your blessing. I, I think about, I don't know everybody here. Uh, I do know some. But God, you know every heart. You know where we are. You know what we need. So God, tonight, would you stir each one of us? Will you work in each one of us? Lord, over the next moments, would you remove distractions of our mind and that our hearts can focus in on the Scriptures and the truth? And Lord, I, I realize, again, not everyone who, who goes to a church or who shows up at one of our concerts are all truly in Christ. Not everyone has been born again. And so I know that that happens at different times within a, within a, um, a, a life of a church where people are coming to Christ at different times. So we pray, if there's anybody here tonight uh, listening to this, uh, whether present here or maybe through live stream, that you would stir their heart, that you would, if they're without Christ, that you would help them to understand their need for Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I pray for those who are in Christ, that we would realize what we have in Christ, that we would live worthy of the gospel. And I ask God, would you please empower me now? Will you bless your word in our heart and our life and use me for the next moments in a very special way. Thank you again for my friends here. May you bless us now. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. This passage personally makes an impact in my heart because it was a number of, of years ago where we had just been out west on a tour. We were working our way from uh, California with weeks of meetings in churches, then Oregon, and then Washington State. And then we had flown from Washington and we flew to Alaska, and we landed in Anchorage, and, uh, and we were in Anchorage and Wasilla and some churches. But I remember right when we landed there, I got a phone call from my mom, and my mom in South Carolina says, Jeremy, just so you know, uh, Grandma Frazier just passed away. And Grandma Frazier had been battling cancer, and uh, she was in Christ. She did know the Lord. If you, if you knew her, she would talk to you about Jesus. And, and uh, she would often even tell me, Jeremy, as a preacher, don't shy away from the gospel. You keep preaching Jesus. You know, I had a good grandmother who loved the Lord. And, and um, interesting, though, is, is all the family, some of you were around during this time. She's kind of turn, taking a downturn. Then because of that, she said, we're doing the funeral right away, which basically she was telling me, Jeremy, you're going to miss it. You're not going to be able to make it back in time, but we're doing the funeral and my heart was broken towards that. But then I started to think, wait a second, what would grandma say? You know, grandma would say, Jeremy, no, you keep preaching Jesus. You know, like, I mean, she would have encouraged me to be faithful in, in what God had called me to do that way. Well, interesting, it was a couple months later in the middle of the summer, I get another phone call. Again, it's from my mom. And it wasn't like every time she called was bad news, but there was more bad news. She called this time and she said, Jeremy, I just want you to know that actually Grandma Smith just passed away. And um, when my grandma Smith passed away, though, she was 97 years old, okay? Now, I tell you, if, if, if you're 97, every day is a miracle. I mean, that's a pretty amazing age, you know what I mean? And so it wasn't like we thought she was going to live, you know, 30 more years, something like that. Um, so when we heard the news, we were saddened. But again, I was excited for her because, again, no more pain. She had come to Christ. She actually heard the gospel growing up in a backyard Bible club in Iowa, and then it was, it was, you know, she had lived the last number of years in Gainesville, Florida. And so at that point in time, I took, I'm up in Wisconsin. I took a plane flight from Green Bay all the way to Jacksonville. My cousin picks me up. We're driving to Gainesville. And as we're driving there, he says, Jeremy, I'm so glad to see you. I know tomorrow's the funeral. Do you think you could do the funeral tomorrow? It's like a, kind of a little bit of a shocker, you know. But in one sense, it was and wasn't. I mean, I, I, I thought about my family in that area, and many of them don't claim to be to know Christ and, 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 and don't necessarily go to church anywhere. And so, therefore, I, I told my cousin it would be my privilege. And one thing I wanted to do is this, is when I got to Grandma's house, we're all kind of hanging out at Grandma's house, I found her Bible because 
I wanted to see what passages in the Scripture made an impact in Grandma's life. And, I, and I'm telling you, I was looking around, and I'm telling you, I came across Ephesians 2, and it was so marked up. I mean, serious. It was, there was underlines. There was a box around certain areas. Uh, there was rays of light shooting out, highlights. There was actually you know, arrows pointing. And just the way it was marked up, it was so clear. My grandma knew the Lord, and she understood that passage of Scripture. And so as I thought about that, I thought, you know, I want to use Ephesians 2, which is such a clear passage, maybe, maybe one of the most clearest in all of the Bible, what it means to be truly saved and to experience that amazing grace. And so as we look at this tonight, I want to begin in verse 1 of chapter 2. And if you notice this, uh, uh, the first point I'll get right into it would be this. Number one is this, that, that really... He came to save us from sin. Or maybe I would put it this way. Salvation is from sin. Now, as I say that, interesting, because I meet people, and when I say the word salvation, we can use this Christian lingo. And if you've been brought up in a Christian world, you know, Christian world, you go to church, then you get it. You're there. But if you haven't, there's an element of like going, what do you mean by that? So one kid, he was probably... I think eight years old, maybe at some point, I, I said to this kid, hey, buddy, have you ever been saved? Using the lingo, you know. And then the kid looks at me and he goes, oh, yes. He said, my mom was driving down the road in the minivan and I was in the passenger seat. And then all of a sudden we come to a stop sign and we stop real fast. And then all of a sudden this other, this other car is like. Vroom. And there was a long pause <laughs> and I'm going, Oh, I don't mean have, we, have you been saved from a car accident, but have you been rescued from your sin? And then he looked at me puzzled and went, well, no, I don't think so. <laughs> he was describing being saved from a car accident. As I look at this, I think, of a, I think of another teenage girl at one point just some years ago as I'm talking to her, she actually described a, dealing with salvation. She said she described, what she described to me was actually that she had cancer and now she went through treatment stuff too and there's no more cancer. And so she was describing how she was rescued from cancer. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Have you been rescued from your sin? Because this is the real problem we have. Now, I, can I tell you this? Over the next moments, okay, this is the longest point of my message, okay, but I want you to know this. When we look at this here, this is the most serious one as you consider who we are. And it's considered the bad news of the Bible, okay? This is, this is bad news speaking of us. Now watch what it says in verse 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. What does that mean? It's talking about before a person has been made alive by God, before a person has been, has been raised to new life spiritually, they are actually spiritually dead. Now, you can be physically alive and spiritually dead. I mean, I look around here and praise the Lord, I don't see anyone who is physically dead, okay? But the truth is you could be here tonight and be totally, you know, spiritually, I mean, spiritually dead, but yet physically alive. That could happen. I think about even that, it says that we're dead in trespasses and sins. What's sin? You know, Scripture calls it this way. The Bible says this, sin is the transgression of the law, or in a simple way of putting it, is when you break God's laws. Now, the truth is, is we can break God's laws in many, many ways. And you think about God. I mean, God who lives in heaven, Scripture talks about this, that, that God in Revelation 21, in the last verse in that chapter, it says that nothing will enter it, speaking of heaven, that will defile it. In other words, it's a totally perfectly pure place, but that's not us. We naturally sin. The question is, is as sinners, how in the world are we going to get there? I mean, we can't naturally get there because we've broken God's laws. And the moment you got there as a sinner, it would now heaven wouldn't be perfect or pure because you'd be there. You know what I'm saying? So we got this dilemma, this problem. But notice what it says here. It says that he, he made us alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And you start thinking about sins. Okay, how can we sin? We can sin in a lot of ways. I, I think about how we can sin with our mouths. We can say things. Uh, that displease God. We can hurt people with our speech. Um, have you ever said something that you wish you could take back? In other words, you, you hurt somebody, 
You said something, you're like, ooh. And maybe you even said, uh, I didn't mean that. The only problem with that, Scripture even says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know what I mean? It's almost like my friend Steve Pettit would say this in the past. He, he was a friend of mine who was kind of a mentor. He would say, he said, you know what the, the tongue is? It's just a dipstick to the heart. If you want to know what's in the heart, just let the mouth speak. I mean, all you do is let the person talk, and you're going to reveal what's inside. And so why would we talk negative or bad, or why would we, we say rude things or self-centered things, and why would, why would we take God's name in vain or curse or tell a dirty joke or anything like that? I mean, the reality is it's because it comes from a, a heart. And then you think about not just our speech, we can sin in our minds. I mean, you can, you can have angry thoughts. You can have dirty thoughts. Um, you can have proud thoughts. It's interesting how in our own mind, we can sin with our mind, and then we can sin with our mouth. We can sin with our lives. And we've all done things, and if you want to notice it even closer, I tell people, then just study out the Ten Commandments, okay? That's a real simple one. You'll find out real soon, man, we don't love God supremely, and the truth is, is we, we don't love people. So often we lie, and we can tell lies to people. And the truth is, when you, if someone were to lie to you, tell you a lie, what would you call them? <laughs> One guy actually said to me, I'd call him human. <laughs> He's trying to get out of it. And I said, really? So they lie to you and you say, you, human. <laughs> and then he goes, oh, I guess I'd call him a liar. And I said, yeah, that's what you'd call him. And the truth is you start thinking about this. If you really love people, would we lie to them? Would, would we steal from others? Would we, again, would we disobey our parents if we really love them? And would we dishonor them? The truth is so often we have this self-love and we're broken people and yet the Bible says we're spiritually dead before conversion. Now when you think about a dead person, can I remind you that dead people don't talk um, and they don't respond. I, I remember being in a church in Michigan. We had just finished off or from another place and we landed at this one place, you could say, in Michigan. We were there. And then the pastor says, hey, Jeremy, um, I'm glad you guys just got here, but we just had someone pass away today in the church, and uh, not at the church, but from the church, you know, and they just said, um, on Thursday, we plan on doing the funeral. Can your team do special music for the funeral? And we said, sure, pastor, however we can help. Thursday came, and guess what? We get there, and... and um, one of the girls that traveled on our team named Rachel, she was like, oh, no, I left my, I left my music notebook on the front row. And uh, we really needed to practice something before. And so we're like, I don't know. How so she had to ask it special permission to get in there because they weren't letting anyone in yet, but that's where the body was. So now you had this casket that was right up front. You had the, it opened, you know, an open casket. She's like, I'm in there by myself with this person I don't even know, you know, it's this dead body. It's like, it was so eerie, you know, and then the, then they let people eventually come all in and they did an open casket style of funeral. She goes, I've never been to one of those. Like it just, it just was eerie, you know, she said to there. But I would tell you this, that in the middle of the funeral, the guy never sat up and he never said, you know, hey, thanks for coming to my funeral. Looks like a great crowd. He, he didn't say, you know, good job on the music, Fraser team, and, and pastor, thanks for preaching the message, and then all of a sudden lay back down. You know, and I say that tongue-in-cheek because we all know that, that dead people don't talk or respond, and yet let me remind you, the Scripture says, before you're saved, it speaks of, of a person called the natural person or the natural man or woman, you could even say. They don't receive the things of the Spirit of God. Scripture says they can't even know them because they're spiritually discerned. That means without the Spirit of God in you, it's like a blank book, and it's almost like, you know, spiritual things, I don't know. I mean, you know, sure, I'll come to a concert, but why are you giving us a message, Jeremy? You know, that's kind of, you know, or read the Bible personally? Uh, I don't know. Just, that uh, doesn't make much sense. And I've had people tell me that, and they're not unintelligent, but they've never come alive spiritually. If that's the case, the truth is, then it's like you're reading this book and it seems almost like a blank book and you're wondering why some people are all excited about it and why they want to go to church and you're going, hmm, you know, I mean, I'll go to church because of a business deal maybe or a, a, a friend who's there, but to really go to know God? Hmm. But if you notice this, it says that he, he made alive who were dead. Now, it doesn't stop there. Here's more bad news. Watch this. Verse 2 in which you once walked according to the course of this world. That says that you would conduct your life just like the world did in the world's course. It's like you kind of followed it. If they said it's okay, you go, okay, I guess it's okay. 
If you watch our world too, you're watching a massive shift in culture. Are, have you not seen this in the last five years, in the last 10 years? I mean, you're going, whoa, and it's spiraling fast. And notice what it says. It says, according to the prince and power of the air. So wait a second. This is the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. This is literally saying this, that our culture is energized by, by the prince and power of the air. That is actually a reference to Satan or the devil. The devil energizes our world to do more and more wickedness. And the truth is, it's almost like here we are following the course. It's like we just, it's like a herd of cattle going to slaughter. And it's just like, we just go, moo, moo, and just kind of follow the next one, not realizing where it's all headed. And as you look at this, this is not good news. It's actually really bad news. We, you could say we were dead and we were also deceived following this course. The, the devil energizes our world to do more and more wickedness. And now it says the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. Here's another characteristic. This is not good either. When you think of the sons of disobedience, it's just saying that we naturally disobey God. We, we break his laws. And then you think of sons or children. I mean, then we, and we think of disobedience, and we understand that, don't you? I tell people, do you not know? The Bible is very clear that, that kids are actually born sinners. Did you know that? Now, I know some of your grandparents or great-grandparents, and you might go, you know, no, not my grandkids. You know, they're good. Well, you haven't watched them long enough then. You know what I mean? Because all you have to do is have children and realize real quickly that kids are, are cute little pagans, that, but they're bad. You know, they, they do sin. And you don't have to teach them how to sin. Have you ever noticed that too? And I also tell people, if you don't think kids are born sinners, then you've never worked in a church nursery with a real long-winded preacher, because you'll know real quickly, man, they're bad. You know, I can't believe that. That's mine, not mine, not mine, Psh, you know, mine. You know, and that's just, that's just, you know, the girl punching the boy. You know what I mean? It's like interesting how we don't have to teach them how to lie. Did you do that with your kids? You know, hey, I'm going to teach you how to lie, okay, today. Today's a lying lesson, okay? And so here we go, ready? And you, and you say, mom's going to come in and is going to ask, did you clean your room? And, and you're going to look at her and smile and say, yes, but you clearly have not. Let's practice, okay? No, you don't have to do any of that. It's amazing how we sin naturally because we're born sinners. Everyone born since the first two people, Adam and Eve, chose to rebel against God. The reality is every other person born now has been born under the sin curse. We need to be delivered. As you look at this, interesting, you're watching this prince and power of the air, the, sons and, uh, the, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. Look at verse 3. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. This is not good. So we're looking in verse 1, we see we're dead and trespasses. Verse 2, we're deceived because we follow the course. We're actually disobedient naturally. And then not only that, we would be depraved because of we conduct ourselves in our lust. That means if it feels good, we just kind of do it. If we felt like saying it, we just kind of said it. If we just kind of felt like, again, doing it or, or, or thinking it, we just did it. That's what we did. And the nature of the sinful lust, the, the desires of the sinful flesh, that's what it's describing. It's of, and even of the mind, and then we're by nature children of wrath. We would say that's doomed, or maybe you would even say this too, according to Scripture, that would even be damned. You say, whoa, what do you mean, Jeremy? Well, God has wrath, and God's wrath is righteous anger that He pours out on sin, and even sinners. So the nature of God's wrath is, is so powerful because God is holy. And sometimes we forget this. And so I meet people and they say, well, Jeremy, don't you know God's a loving God? And I say, that's true, he is. But he's also a holy God. Because he's so holy, guess what he does? He separates himself from, uh, from sin and he's separated unto himself. And yet because of his goodness and holiness and purity, we don't attain, we all come short. That's the bad news. The nature of that, as Scripture goes on to speak in Romans, many of you know the verse, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that the wages of sin is what? Death. That means the payment for your sin is eternal death and separation from God. 
That's not good news. That's bad news. And actually, Jesus was very clear in Luke 16 of only two places you can go when you die. It's either heaven or hell. Do you know that Jesus never spoke of purgatory? Did you know that? It's interesting. Read, read, read Luke 16 very clearly. It's so clear. And, and you would think if that was the case, Jesus would say, don't worry about it, everybody, because you got some more time. It's called purgatory, you know? And, and Jesus never taught that. And he warned people not to die in their sins because he knew that would be an eternal destination where they would go. So when you look at all this, this is really bad news. And as you consider this, children of wrath, even as others, this, again, I kind of read, could you imagine in a funeral telling everybody this? But do you think people are like, yeah, Jeremy, you're my favorite speaker? No, I don't think so. You got people sometimes maybe angry. I've actually had people in describing this within a message in the past at some point, I've had, I've had, I remember one lady actually stomping, getting up, stomping out because she was so mad. And I'm thinking, wait, 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 don't leave because I told you the bad news. And that's who we are, but it's followed by the good news, okay? Because again, number one, you know, salvation is from sin, but number two, salvation is by grace. Now, as I say this, look at, look at verse four. And these were the two words in my grandmother's Bible. Now, I don't have my grandma's Bible, but literally at this funeral, I could turn my grandmother's Bible around and they could see all the highlights, you know? And I'm like, and, and those two words had a box around them, you know, verse four. And then you had rays of light shooting off, you know? And then it was even highlighted. And I'm like, wow, because it's like, here's all the bad news, but verse four says, but God. It's like, here's God, he steps in. And then it describes God who is rich in mercy. Now, do you know what mercy is? It's God withholding judgment. When you think of mercy right now, I would say this, that every last one of us in this room, whether you are in Christ or not, whether you've been born again or not, you are experiencing the very mercy of God because we all deserve His punishment. And that eternal punishment, when you sin against an eternal God, there's an eternal punishment. We deserve that. But His mercy is we're not there right now. We're not in hell. Now you might go, well, Jeremy, you don't know me and my, my life feels like hell. Maybe you say that, you know. And I'd say, well, then maybe you should study out hell. Because the truth is when you study out biblical hell, you'll realize, you, I'm not saying you don't have it bad, but I'm saying as in, that's clearly a worse place, Okay. And yet you look at this, and it's interesting, he's so rich in mercy. Notice verse 4, because of his great love with which he loved us. That's amazing. It doesn't say God kind of, sort of, maybe loved you kind of, sort of. It's clear that God has his great love with which he loved us. Then it says this in verse 5, even when we were dead in trespasses, those sins, he made us alive together with Christ, notice this phrase, by grace you have been saved. By grace? And you can go further and you can look even in verse 8. Notice what it says here. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And notice as it describes this salvation work. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now consider those phrases for a minute. Now we're saved by grace, okay? Now, Grace is this, is when God showers you with blessings when you deserve the punishment. It's not just that God withholds punishment, and that's mercy, but God is actually showering you with blessings. And grace is something that you cannot earn and you do not deserve, which is interesting because I meet religious people in traveling and sometimes the most confused people are the religious people. And sometimes, I'll be honest too, sometimes some of the dumbest things I hear are from religious people because I've had people tell me this, well, Jeremy, when it comes to grace, you got to earn grace. <laughs> and I, and I, I get, excuse me? <laughs> you know, because the moment you earn it is the moment it's works. So you can't earn grace. Grace is, is, again, God, again, showering you with blessings when you don't deserve it and can't earn it. Now, as I think about that, we get that. I mean, you've experienced probably someone gracing you in a, in a physical way. And I, I remember one time, uh, it was just before getting married, it was 
I was uh, out west. I think we're in Phoenix, Arizona, and I was traveling with this evangelist. And and uh, it was one, after one of the evening services like this, we went to a restaurant uh, with some of the college age, and that's kind of our age group at the time. And and so I go to this restaurant, like a Denny's, like a you know like a breakfast all day kind of idea. And uh, we sit down, and the lady passes out the menus, and and she passes out the menus. She says this. She says, "Just so you know, you can order anything off the menu." Now I am sarcastic, okay, and I joke a lot, okay. So when she said that, I said, "Well, isn't that normal? Like, you, what do you mean? Here's the menu, but you can't order anything from it, you know?" And then she started laughing. She goes, "No, here's what I mean by that." She said, "Someone came in earlier this evening and put down enough money that whoever comes into the restaurant tonight, the meal is totally paid for." And we kind of looked around and we're like. <laughs> And we're like, are you serious? Like, we're like, well, that's kind of, I've never heard that, you know? And we're like looking at each other. Maybe it's someone from our table, you know? Like, and then we looked at all of us and we're like, no, it's none of us. We're all poor, you know? So we're like, okay. Then we said, are you serious? And she said, yes. And I said, well, that changes everything. I mean, I was just going to get an appetizer. Forget that. I'm like, I guess I'm going to get me a meal now, you know? And then as I said, here's my meal. And, and then she says, well, what about dessert? And I go, oh, that's a good one. Um, uh, I think I'll take uh, this one right here. And she goes, now you know this one's really good too. And I said, well, then I guess I'll take that one too. You know what I mean? I mean, if it's for free. And we had this huge spread of all this food in front of us. We ate like you could say kings and queens. And we didn't pay a dime Somebody graced us and many others too. None of us earned it or deserved it. And then one says, as you think about salvation work, if you could earn it, you wouldn't need Jesus. And the point is, that's why you can't earn it. And the truth is, you look at this and it makes it very clear in verse 8. Notice what it says. Speaking of by grace, you have been saved through faith. And that is not of yourselves. Now, people try. When I think of through the years, I think of people saying this, well, Jeremy, um, I prayed a prayer. I prayed a sinner's prayer. And I would say, okay, that's nice. And, but do you know that you could pray a sinner's prayer and still die and go to hell? Because it's not the prayer that saves you. It's Jesus who saves you. But sometimes people trust in a prayer. I bet people say, well, Jeremy, I go to church. And I'm thinking, well, that doesn't wash away your sins either. Like when you guys came in tonight, did you, you know, kind of step into the lobby area? And right when you stepped in, you felt like a funny zap, like, like, wow. You know, maybe you stood at the lobby going, you know, this feels good, you know. And the whole point is, is no, of course not. And sometimes people say, well, well, I've been baptized, Jeremy. One lady told me that in Tennessee. She said, Jeremy, I've been baptized twice. Uh, First time in a Catholic church, second time in a Baptist church. She says, I even have a brother-in-law who's a Baptist minister. And I smiled. I said, man, those are all nice things, but none of those things take away your sins. How does going underwater in front of people take away and wash away your sins? Actually, interesting, Jesus even told the criminal on the cross who turned to him and trusted him by faith and in faith in Christ alone. And what did Jesus say? He said, behold, today you will be with me where? In paradise. That's another name for heaven. How in the world could he get there if he had to get baptized? And the whole point is, baptism is not a requirement for salvation, although it is a great picture. And anyone who truly is saved, you'll see in the book of Acts, what do they want to do? They want to follow the Lord and publicly identify with Jesus and say, I want to get baptized because as a testimony, I have died to myself and sins, and I have been raised to walk in a whole new way of living, and I want to display that and I want to tell people in baptism. And that's a biblical thing, isn't it? But it was never meant to save a person. Because if that were the case, then you, know, you just get to get baptized. And the whole point is it's not of yourselves. I think of people say, well, Jeremy, I've even been confirmed. And I'm like, well, that's nice too. But, but you can say the questions correctly and answer them correctly. But answering questions correctly doesn't, doesn't give you salvation. So you look at this and go, okay, well, this is interesting then. It's not of yourselves. And notice the next phrase. It says, it is the gift of God. That means this, that... When it comes to a gift, what do you do? Now, I think about this because both my mom and my dad just had birthdays. They're like two days apart. And it just happened. I can't wait to kind of go to Greenville um, next week and then be able to give them some presents or something like that. You know, so it'll be kind of fun. But as I think about that, 
Um, if it's your birthday, you know, could you imagine as a teenager, it's your birthday and grandma's the one who gives you some presents and you're like, man, she kind of spoils me, you know, and you're all excited. And then you're like, grandma, that's kind of expensive. That's a couple hundred a couple hundred dollars worth of stuff. Hold on a second. You go back to your room and you get a couple hundred dollars and say, here, grandma, here's the money. Thank you for my gift. What would grandma do? Grandma would be like, put that money away. You know, like, you know that's a gift. You don't pay for that. I, I bought that for you, you know. And there's an element when it comes to the gift, it's a gift from God. And the truth is, because it's a gift from God, it even goes on to say in verse 9, to make it so clear, I mean, as clear as day. Notice what it says in verse 9, not of works. It's telling you there's nothing in and of yourself that you can do to somehow earn salvation, because if you could, what would you do? The end of verse 9 says this, lest anyone should boast. If you could do it, you would boast about it. And you'd be up, maybe you'd get up to heaven. How'd you get here? And you'd say, well, I was pretty good. <laughs> you know, I got baptized or whatever. You'd kind of go down the list of whatever you thought. And God doesn't work on a scale like that. His scale is perfection. We're already born sinful. We need to be rescued. We commit sins we need the Savior. When you look at this, salvation is from sin, but it's also by grace. Now, I will just say this one quickly. It, how do you get it? Well, you get it through faith. If you notice this here, it tells you that in verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Now, when I say faith, <clears throat> interesting, because faith, everybody, you could say, has faith. Now, you could have come here tonight and said, Jeremy, I am an atheist. And I'd say, well, you got some serious faith because somehow you believe and know God. And then you look around and you see creation and you see these, this world and you go, well, then how did it get here? And you go, well, um, um, a scientific answer, a big bang, Jeremy, a big bang caused it. You know, and I'm thinking, have you ever blown up anything? Because I have, like when I was a little kid, firecrackers and, you know, put them in mushrooms and stuff and, you know, like that. Or maybe later some friends or something, you know, in upper Minnesota were like, hey, you want to shoot some tannerite? I'm like, oh, okay, you know. And, and then it's like, well, you know, you know it's like, yeah, cool, you know. It's like, uh, have you ever noticed, though, with explosive things, like if anything explodes, you don't get order, you get chaos. So how in the world? out pops an ordered universe with all the planets going in the right direction? I mean, everything about this, I mean, you look around and go, clearly there's an intelligent design because there's an intelligent designer. I mean, I think that's, a, that's simple. Unless you just wanted to say, I don't believe in God and I want to go my own way, you're going to have to somehow just force that clarity that's around you like out of your mind that somehow you're an atheist, okay? And I would say, wow, and that takes a lot of faith, okay? But I would also say this too, is when you consider faith, it's not just believing. Because the demons, the Bible says, believe in Jesus and they tremble, but demons aren't going to heaven. So you say, what are you saying then, Jeremy? I'm saying that biblical faith and biblical belief is actually trusting in. It's believing upon. It's when you're not just saying, oh, I, you know, because one sense is, you know, do you believe in George Washington? And if you looked at me and said, no, Jeremy, I don't believe that, we'd say, well, then you're not real smart. You know what I mean? Because he actually lived. But if you were to say, well, my next question is, though, but do you believe upon George Washington? Do you trust in George Washington? I hope not. And that's the difference. Here's Christ, where it's the way to be saved. It's through Messiah. And when you consider this, it's faith, not just any kind of faith, but, but actually depending upon trusting in Christ. It's saying, I don't want my sin, but I need to be delivered. And Jesus, I know that's why you came, and I'm looking to you and trusting in you and you alone. As you consider this, notice this, I said Christ. Notice verse 12 of the same chapter. It says that at that time you were without Christ. What was it like? Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise and having no hope and without God in the world. That's what we are before Jesus. But notice verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. What happened? Why Jesus and not somebody else? Why not Mohammed, you know? 
I had a relative one time say, well, Jeremy, what about Buddha? Maybe Buddha is their Jesus. And I said, no, no, no. Here's the point. Scripture is very clear. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. The Scripture says this. There's one mediator between God and man. It's the man Christ Jesus. Notice it doesn't say, you know, you pray to Mary to pray to Jesus to get to God. No, it, there's one mediator. It's the man Christ Jesus. The scripture is clear where Jesus even said this. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Now that's exclusive. And, and you know what? A world doesn't like that. A world says, no, no, no. There are many ways. You could be a Buddhist over here, Hindu over here, Christian over here. We're all climbing the same mountain to get to God. But yet it's very, very clear Jesus is making exclusive claims. And I like as C.S. Lewis, a very famous author of the past, what did he say? He had come to Christ in a religious system, but then he finally came to Christ and trusted in Christ alone. And you know what C.S. Lewis said? He said, if Jesus is a liar, don't follow a liar. You know, some guy saying, hey, I'm Messiah, follow me. Mm -mm. If he's a lunatic, a crazy man, hey, I'm Messiah, follow me. Mm -mm. Don't follow crazy man. If he is Lord, as he says he is, and Scripture points to that, guess what you should do? You should repent of your sins and trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior. As you begin to consider this, interesting, it is in Christ, and this is what happens. And actually, at the moment of genuine conversion, what really goes on in a heart and life, you can see this. Look at Ephesians 1 for a second here and verse 13. In, one for, in Ephesians 1, 13, it speaks of this. It says, in him you also trusted. After you, after you heard the word of truth, so you had to hear the word of truth. What is the word of truth? The gospel of your salvation. It's the good news. You had to hear the word of God, the very gospel, and what did you do? Then you trusted. And it says, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's interesting because at the moment of genuine conversion, you're saying, I don't want my sin, but I want Christ. And you cry out to Him to be saved. And what, guess what happens? Scripture says this, that the Spirit of Almighty God, at that moment, He comes and lives inside of you. You could say this. Have you heard of a person being demon-possessed? Well, you're not demon-possessed. Not if you repent and trust in Christ. You're actually God-possessed. The Holy Spirit comes and resides in you and lives in you. It changes everything, doesn't it? And you know what's interesting? For me, I, I grow, growing up initially... I thought I was a Christian because my parents were. But it was the more I began to go to church, the more I began to hear the gospel, very clear. See, my dad claimed Jesus, but it wasn't until the age of 26 where he really got saved. My dad is from Roswell, New Mexico. Anyone know anything special about Roswell? It's the UFO capital of the world, okay? <laughs> you know, I have a glow about me. You can turn the lights off, I still glow, yeah. No, but... um. When I think, about, I think about my dad, he grew up knowing the gospel. His dad actually was a preacher and kind of a, maybe a backwoods style preacher. They actually moved to Greenville, South Carolina to actually study for ministry. My dad was in rebellion. My dad actually took martial arts as a, you know, kind of grew up doing martial arts, but he, he took it initially to really to hurt people. Like he was angry, you know, he just was in rebellion. And then it was interesting because at the age of 26, and he'd been married for a while already and multiple kids, then he got saved and it changed him. And so we're going to church. And for a while, as I'm going to church here and more and more, the more I'm realizing, oh, I'm not saved. I started asking some questions, serious questions until I remember one night in particular, I'm sitting in a service like this and there was an evangelist preaching the gospel. He began to talk about sin and I knew I was a sinner. You didn't have to tell me anything about that because I got in trouble all the time. Not just that, the wages of sin being death. I'm like, this is not good at all for me. I actually know I'm too dirty for heaven. I won't make it, but then praise God, he starts speaking of Christ. I mean, Jesus being virgin born. Can I tell you something? Virgins don't have babies. I mean, this is a miraculous birth from God where he had to be fully man and yet fully God. This is a, the, a, an amazing thing because he, he needed to be the God man because he needed to be the perfect human sacrifice for humans and yet eternal. This is perfect. And so here it is. Then he lives and he never commits sin 
repentance ever. And then he gets to the age of 30 years old and starts doing miracles. I mean, he's just doing miracles. He's presenting the truth of the message. He's telling people to repent and believe the gospel. At the age of 33 and a half, he's in a garden praying. He's done nothing wrong. And actually, he, he um, is falsely accused. He already has told his own disciples and the people that knew him. Even the religious crowd knew this. He said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be taking the hands of sinful men. I'm going to be then crucified. And three days later, I will rise from the dead. And that's exactly what happened to him. Interesting how God just, I mean, everything orchestrated to show clearly this is Messiah. Maybe the greatest picture of salvation is you've got the two criminals. One of them rejects Christ on the cross. The other one repents. He turns to Christ. He actually looks to Jesus. He's already admitted his own sin. He told the other guy to quit speaking that way to him because he says, we've done things wrong. He's done nothing wrong. He knew even cursed as any man who hangs on a tree. I mean, he was a Jewish mindset. I mean, everything about this, he, he was guilty and he deserved capital punishment. But he, you know what he said? He then looks to Jesus and says, Jesus, will you remember me when you go into your kingdom? Now consider that for a minute. If Jesus has a kingdom, what does that make him? It makes him a king. And if he's going to go into that kingdom, that means they're going to die. That day, that's, an, that's like a heavenly kingdom. Jesus, would you, would you consider me when you, when you go to your kingdom? It's like, it's like he's so humble. He didn't say, hey, save me now. He says, would you even please consider me? And he's turning to Christ alone. And Jesus' response is, behold, today you will be with me in paradise. And then the truth is, is later that day, that's Jesus died. Um, he says, it's finished, he, he cried out. It's paid in full. He bows his head, gives up the ghost. When you consider that, Jesus then was buried. And what happened three days later, just like he promised, he rose from the dead. He conquered sin, he conquered death, he conquered hell. Actually, it's interesting because one, one of those occasions, uh, he was seen on like 10 occasions. One was over 500 people at one time. I mean, that just shows you clearly this is him. You know, he's, this is who he is, and he's Messiah. And what's amazing, you think of those criminals on the cross, one rejects Jesus. And if you think about it, where is he tonight? He's, he's in hell. He's eternally separated from God. And the truth is, what did he reject? He really rejected the love of God. Because when you reject the love of God, you end up, in the end, you'll receive the wrath of God. But here's another guy who deserves punishment from God, but he humbles his heart. He turns completely to Messiah. And what happened to him? He responded to the gospel, and according to Jesus' own words, where is he tonight? He's with the Lord. He's in paradise with him. When you look at that, that's really the option for all mankind. What are you going to do with Jesus? Has there been a time in your life? Because so I'm sitting there, <laughs> sitting beside my dad. I actually grabbed my dad's shirt sleeve at the very end, and I and I started pulling on it. And my dad is like, he looks down, he goes, "What are you doing?" And, and he said it that way because I always messed around in church. <laughs> but when he said, "What are you doing?" I said, "Dad, I'm not messing around. I I need Jesus to save me." My dad smiled and he said, "Well, why don't you come with me?" And he grabbed his Bible, went to a quiet place in the church, he opened it up, began to show me from Scripture what it means to repent and to trust in Christ. And that night, as much as I knew how as a kid, I said, I want my sin. I want Jesus to save me. I cried out to him. And guess what? He saved me. <laughs> and he can save you. I don't know where you are spiritually, but, but God does. And maybe be, if you're here tonight without Jesus, the truth is, is, I don't think this is an accident that you somehow came to the service tonight. I think that God and his kindness brought you here. But I also know this, that maybe there are many of you in this room who would claim Christ. And I would say this. I tonight preach this message to you like it was a gospel message, but it's not written as a gospel message. It's written explaining the gospel. It's written to the believer to say, don't you know and don't you see what you have in Jesus? 
because it's shown you all the heavenly blessings. Notice verse 1 of chapter 2. And you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and in which you once walked according to the course of this world. I mean, this is what you were in the past. We were all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling desires of the flesh. I mean, this is who we were under God's, under God's wrath just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us even when we were dead, what did he do? He made us alive together with Christ. He's saying, don't you see what happened at salvation? He didn't just make you alive, and he did it by grace, verse 6, and he raised us up together, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I mean, just, he just, I mean, just pouring out mercy and grace and kindness to us. You have been so eternally blessed if you're saved, and God saved you for a purpose. Because in verse 10, at the end of that, it says this, for we, these are the people who have been saved, are his workmanship, notice this, created in Christ Jesus for good works. It's not, it's not that we're saved by our good works, but we are saved for the purpose of good works. Consider this, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The whole point is God saved you for a purpose. And when you think about good works, we often think about the scripture that says this, let your light so shine before men, for Christians, let your light so shine before men. Why? That they may see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father, which is in heaven. It's not about you know, you getting saved and, and people going, man, look at her. She's so, man, she's such a good lady. No, God saved you that people would look and say, whoa, your life is different. Why do you do these things? Clearly, God has done something in your heart and life that's not normal. It's supernatural. And this is the whole point is we put God on display. But I wonder sometimes as Christians, if we get so sidetracked, we start living for our own purpose. Ever happen in your life? And all of a sudden you're like, like God has to kind of wake you up a little bit and go, wake up, what are you doing? And, the, and can I tell you, as a believer, living for self and selfish purposes, it's, <laughs> it's like the, one of the most miserable ways to live. But it's, it's when you live for His purpose, there's the joy and satisfaction of knowing there's no regrets at all and yet you're living for the whole reason God created you. Are you living for His purpose? Have you been truly born again? Have you been saved? And if you haven't tonight, tonight can be the greatest night of your entire life. I would, I would challenge you, repent of your sins and trust in Christ alone. And for those in Christ, I think we should say, you know what, dear God, thank you for that amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Because it, it, is, it is purely by His grace, isn't it? And it's through faith in Christ. And uh, may God help us to live out this gospel. Let's pray tonight. Dear God, I want to thank you for my friends here. Lord, they have um, labored with me. I know that's not been a real short message. But as we've looked through this passage of Ephesians chapter 2, it is clear how you lay it out for us. Lord, to show us what has happened for those who have been saved. And God, we do want to praise your name for that. We want to thank you. Lord, we get so complacent, we forget. We get apathetic or lazy. And so it's so good for us to come back to see the heavenly blessings. And I pray, God, tonight we would in our heart be praising you and thanking you for genuine salvation. But Lord, not everyone has been saved yet. Lord, we know that that happens often in churches, in different communities as we present the gospel. Lord, I hear story after story of people who, who maybe when they were little, they prayed some kind of prayer, but it really wasn't a genuine thing until they got older and they realized how much they needed Christ alone and they repented and trusted in Christ. And Lord, there may very well be someone here tonight who's that way. Maybe there's a teenager, an adult here tonight that has never genuinely repented and trusted in you. And God, if that be the case, I pray tonight would be the greatest night of their entire lives where they would repent. They would say, I don't want my sins, but Jesus, I want you to save me. And I'm looking to you and you alone. Messiah, will you, will you rescue me? 
and they would cry out to you in genuine repentance and faith and humility. God, thank you for that saving grace that you promised to give. With our heads bowed, our eyes closed, I just want to ask this question real quick. Is I don't want to assume, but I want to be able to pray for the audience here. And I know that you don't really know me, and I don't know all of you. But I wonder how many here would say, Jeremy, when you describe salvation as being saved from sin, by grace, through faith, in Christ, and for a purpose, Jeremy, there's been a time in my life where I have genuinely turned from my sin to Christ and trusted in Jesus and Him alone. And Jeremy, He saved me. That's happened to me. If that's true of you, could you slip your hand up as a testimony? Jeremy, that's been a time in my life where that's happened to me. Praise God. Praise God. And you can put your hands down. Is there anyone, though, maybe you're here tonight and you'd say, Jeremy, I question that sometimes, really, like in my heart. I don't know if that's happened to me yet, but I want you to remember me in prayer because it's that serious in my heart. And you just slip your hand up high enough so I could know to pray for you about that. Jeremy, pray for me. I don't think I have been saved yet. This concerns me. And I think everyone in the room is making that claim. I will say this, if you're watching online, the truth is, is you know the church and you know where the church's um, website, in a sense, is, so you can also know how to get a hold of pastor. I would encourage you to do that if you are not in Christ. The truth is you can humble your heart now. You can turn from your sins and trust in Christ, and I call you to do that now. Call upon Christ to save you. He will, as Scripture would teach. But I wonder how many Christians tonight would also say this, Jeremy, God is speaking to me because so often I don't, I don't really praise Him for my conversion. I often forget this. Um, and Jeremy, not just that, I, so often I'm not living for His purpose. But God is stirring my heart tonight to remind me, Jeremy, um, I need to be living for God's purpose and not my own. And maybe God is speaking to you about that. And you just say, Jeremy, remember me in prayer tonight as God deals with my heart about some of these issues. You might slip your hand up. I know to pray for you about that. appreciate that. And just in your heart tonight as we kind of close out, I don't have just our Lydia, our pianist, to just kind of play through um, a song. As she does, this would be a great time personally to thank God for that amazing grace, salvation that He's given you. And maybe even tonight you're thinking of people you know who are without Christ. And hopefully tonight, in a simple way, you could actually take Ephesians chapter 2 with a friend of yours. And you could walk them through the passage. Just kind of walk them through what it means for a person to be saved, not by their works, but by God's grace in Christ. Hopefully tonight, I've kind of modeled some of that for us tonight, that we can feel like we can better present the gospel even to people around us. That when you leave here, we can leave here better equipped to actually share the good news with those around us. God, thank you so much for your kindness to us in so many ways, especially salvation. Lord, please empower us as we would rest in you and trust in you in our daily lives as believers to live worthy of that gospel, to better give out the gospel. Give us opportunities, Lord, and may we make opportunities as we see people around us, neighbors, friends, family, um, Lord, just work in us. And then I pray too, God, that you'd work through us in a very serious way. Uh, God, thank you for your goodness, kindness, and saving grace. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.